Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. This week, I'm going to tell you a story that is every parent's worst nightmare. This is the kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart was your typical happy 14-year-old girl. She loved fairy tales and she couldn't wait to find her Prince Charming, get married, and live happily ever after, just like in all those fairy tale books she has read before. On June 4th, 2002, Elizabeth and her family had a lot going on that day. They had just attended a funeral for Elizabeth's grandfather and Elizabeth was also getting an award that day at school. The principal had even called Elizabeth and asked her if she could play the harp that day at the award ceremony because Elizabeth used to play or she still plays the harp, I should say. And that's like her hobby. She loved doing that growing up. Needless to say, that day was a little chaotic for the Smart family. Elizabeth's mom, Louis Smart, was running around like many of us moms do, where we're trying to cook dinner, get everyone fed, and all while Louis is also trying to figure out how she's going to fit Elizabeth's harp in the back of her car. How big is this thing? <laughs> well, it's a harp. Are they really that big? Yes. <laughs> After the family eats, they head down to school. And they're running a little late, and Louis, Elizabeth's mom, is a little flustered and on edge. Nonetheless, the family attends the school award ceremony, Elizabeth plays the harp, and everything else goes off without a hitch. When the family gets home, Louis goes into the room that Elizabeth and her younger sister, Mary Catherine Smart, shared. And Elizabeth was reading a Ella the Enchanted book out loud for her and her sister. And eventually, Elizabeth gets tired and she puts down the book and she falls fast asleep. When all of a sudden, at around 2 a.m. on June 5th, 2002, Elizabeth gets woken up by a voice telling her, I have a knife at your throat. Don't make a sound. Get up and come with me. And that's when Elizabeth opens her eyes and she sees the shadow of a tall man standing over her. And instantly she feels the knife that is being held up against her neck. And Elizabeth is thinking that she needs to do what this man is telling her to do because she fears that if she doesn't the man will try to take her younger sister too or even worse he might try to hurt her and her parents too in fear that something will happen to her younger sister or her parents elizabeth obeys the commands of the man and she gets out of bed and when she does the man takes her into the closet so that she can get her shoes and while she's in there, Elizabeth asks the man why he was doing this to her. The man tells Elizabeth that he's taking her for ransom money. As the man is walking out of the house with Elizabeth, he whispers in her ear, If you scream or yell, I will kill you and your family. The man and Elizabeth are walking out of the bedroom, past her parents' bedroom, and down the stairs. And Elizabeth is just praying, Dad, please wake up. That sounds Please wake up and save me. Mom, please hear these footsteps and please wake up. But unfortunately, her parents don't wake up. And with the knife still pressed up against Elizabeth, her kidnapper takes her out of the house 
and he leads her to a vacant lot. When Elizabeth spots some headlights and Elizabeth hears her kidnapper whisper, if this work is good, God, please let this car pass. All while he's threatening Elizabeth, telling her that he will kill her if she moves or makes a sound. So let me just tell you, I saw this documentary named Elizabeth Smart Autobiography. And Jose, Elizabeth described the car passing by. And you want to know, like, what type of car it was? Or- oh, don't tell me it was a police car. It was a police car. Oh, you've got to be kidding. And unfortunately, this happens a lot during her story, where there is, like, a lot of close encounters with police officers or detectives and... Ugh. Yes. I mean, just the beginning is horrible. Yes. I mean, just thinking that th- he's, she's literally walking by her parents' room... And she's just praying, like, just hoping that they wake up. Please wake up. That they are awake. I mean, oh, that's so. That's it's horrible. So, as soon as the police car passes, Elizabeth's attacker pulls her up, and they start running. Elizabeth's kidnapper leads her to a trail, and as they start hiking up this trail, reality starts to set in for Elizabeth, and. She finally is able to grasp that this is really happening, that she's being kidnapped and she needs to get away from him. She needs to just run away or do something. But the whole time, her kidnapper is right behind her holding that knife to her back. Finally, Elizabeth finds the courage to stop walking and stop him. And she tells him that if he's just going to rape and kill her to just do it now and get it over with. And in this documentary that I was telling you about, Elizabeth said that her kidnapper just looked at her. And with a smug smile, he looked at her and said, I'm not going to rape you or murder you. Yet. What? What does he have planned? So, hold on. You know what? I still can't get past the police officer. I mean, they were just walking by. Well, no. He walked her to a vacant lot. Yeah. And then that's when she spotted the headlights and obviously her kidnapper spotted the headlights too so they like hid right away <sighs> so it's like it's not like anybody can, i'm telling you this happens a lot through the story okay so just fasten your seatbelts. all right so remember how i was telling you that elizabeth it was walking out the house with her kidnapper and she was just praying that her dad or mom would wake up and save her right well something that i failed to mention and I didn't mention this before because I get pleasure out of your naive reactions. Naive. <laughs> we call <them> naive. <laughs> you. Well, let me just tell you. While the man was waking up Elizabeth and walking her into the closet to get her to put on her shoes. You know how she shared how I said she shared a room with her younger sister, Mary Catherine. Right. Well, she was awake throughout the whole incident. Really? She was awake, but she was so afraid to move or scream. And Mary Catherine even tried to run to her parents' room to wake them up as the kidnapper was taking Elizabeth. But she only got as far as, like, the doorframe of their room when, like, she got so scared and she ran back to bed. And she was, like, just in fear, hiding. Oh, that's horrible. How old is the other, the sister? She's younger. I mean, she's younger than her. Yeah, I mean, they're so, young regardless. I mean, we can expect. Right. So then at around 3.58 a.m., 
Mary Catherine finally gets the courage to run into her parents' room and tells them what happened to Elizabeth. They probably wouldn't even... I, I don't even know what I would expect think about hearing. It's like, oh, you're having a bad dream or something. Oh, like, well, that's exactly what the reactions of her parents were. So Mary Catherine wakes up her father, Ed, and she tells him, Dad, something has, someone has taken Elizabeth. Elizabeth's parents at first are thinking the same thing you said. Maybe Mary Catherine just had a bad dream and Elizabeth's okay. So they head over to the girls' room and they see that Elizabeth is not in bed. Thinking that Elizabeth has to be somewhere in the house, Ed runs into their son's room, Charles wakes him up and tells him, hey, is Elizabeth in here with you? So at this point, he's just going crazy. Like, she has to be here somewhere. Yeah, right. So obviously, Elizabeth is not in Charles' room. And Ed starts looking everywhere for Elizabeth. He starts with the upstairs and then heads down into the kitchen. And as Ed is doing this, Mary Catherine is screaming from the upstairs, Someone has taken her. You're not going to find her. That's awful. I mean, it's true. That's just not the I'm first sh- thing that's going to come to her mind, right. I guess, right? I mean, maybe it's out of fear or hope that something like that wouldn't happen. Uh, yeah, I felt like your brain wouldn't even let you process that, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. She's She has to be around here somewhere at the bathroom or, you know. Yeah. I mean, how many in the past, how many other stories similar to this have you heard that? It's kind of the same reaction with parents. Right. So as Mary Catherine is screaming that, you know, someone has taken her and that her father, Ed, wasn't going to find her, Elizabeth's mom, Louis, runs down the stairs as well, and she turns on all the lights. And that's when she sees that the window she had opened earlier when she was cooking, you know how I said she was running around trying to get everybody Yeah, she was busy and, and hectic and everything. Yeah. Well, she notices how she left it open and the screen is cut. At around 4.01 a.m., they call the police to report Elizabeth's abduction. As the sun is rising, Elizabeth recognizes her kidnapper. Elizabeth recalled seeing a man when her and her mother, Louis, were out shopping one day for clothes. And Elizabeth remembered how he had asked her mom for work and Louis had given the man $5. Then Elizabeth also remembered how her father Ed had given this man work. And she remembers that her kidnapper's name is Brian Mitchell. Brian had been driving around the Smarts family's home after he went to work for Ed, Elizabeth's father. And Brian would drive around the house looking for the best entryway so that he can take Elizabeth. Brian would later say that as soon as he saw Elizabeth with her mom that day when they were out shopping, Mm -hmm. that he knew he was going to kidnap her. Brian leads Elizabeth up to this mountain where they get greeted by Brian's wife, Wanda Barcy. At first, Elizabeth thought that maybe Brian had kidnapped her because maybe Brian and Wanda couldn't have kids. But when they finally got to the top of the mountain where Brian and Wanda had set up camp, Elizabeth laid eyes on Wanda and immediately Elizabeth was frightened of Wanda. Elizabeth described Wanda as scary looking and she even said that she looked like a witch. Oh, a witch. (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't know Which, why oh that's my gosh, have to so see, much more terrifying. Yeah, you're going to have to see her pictures. So Wanda grabs Elizabeth and she sits her down on a turned down bucket. And immediately Wanda starts to wash her feet. And then she starts to try and take off Elizabeth's pajamas. But right away, Elizabeth starts saying no. And she starts trying to like squirm away. And she starts telling Wanda how she had taken a shower right before going to bed. So she was clean. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about cleaning me. I'm clean. Yeah. So Wanda hands her a robe and tells Elizabeth to put it on. And this isn't like a bathrobe or anything like that. Okay. Because something else that I felt to mention Brian presented himself in an image that was similar to the image of Jesus. Whoa, what do you mean by that? Well, he liked to dress in white robes and tunics, and he was also growing a beard. Like, the Jesus kind of beard. Did he, like, present himself that way, too, or is that just... No, that's how... that. Yeah, no, he... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, a witch and a Jesus wannabe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. So Elizabeth puts on the robe, and when she does, she takes off her clothes under the robe, but she leaves on her underwear. And Wanda tells her to take off her underwear, but Elizabeth refuses. And that's when Wanda tells Elizabeth that if she doesn't take her underwear off, she would call Emmanuel, and he would rip them off of her. Fearful that Emmanuel... Why Emmanuel? Yeah, a.k.a. Brian. Oh, that's what he goes by. Yes. Would rip off her underwear. Elizabeth obeys Wanda's demand, and she removes her underwear. After Elizabeth obeys, Wanda walks out of the tent, leaving Elizabeth inside the tent. After Wanda walks out of the tent, Emmanuel, a.k.a. Brian Mitchell, unsips the tent, walks into the tent, and he kneels down next to Elizabeth. And he tells her that she is now sealed to him as his wife and that it can never be undone. Just like that. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine so, what she's thinking? Like, this well, is just crazy. Yeah, well, in this documentary that I was telling you about, she actually describes what was going through her mind as he's telling her this. Mm-hmm. And she said that she was like, this can't be real. Like, this is not possible. Like, this isn't binding. This isn't a marriage. Like, there's no way. Think about it. She's a 14-year-old girl. This yeah. is a little girl. It's not an adult that we're talking about, right. you know? So, yeah, that's, it's an amazing documentary that she did. So, Elizabeth yells no when he tells her that. And when she does, he grabs her and tells her that if she yells like that again, that he's going to kill her. Then Brian tells Elizabeth that it's time for them to consummate their marriage. Elizabeth tells Brian that she hasn't even started her period. And Brian, all of a sudden, yells out, Ipsiba, is it okay that she hasn't started her period? Are you kidding? No. What's, what is Ipsiba? So it's more like, who? And that would be Wanda. <laughs> because, <laughs> you see, so Brian, crazy. Brian and Wanda were actively involved in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Brian began going by the name Emmanuel, claiming to be a prophet of God who experienced prophetic visions. And he was then, obviously, excommunicated from the church. So that actually happened. He was excommunicated yes. from the church. Uh, did you not hear? I, he's walking prophet around. Visions? 
Got is it. this part of your social? No, not social With your secret society. Your secret society. I've been watching extra secret society. Nobody wants to know. When Wanda yelled back at Brian that it was fine, Brian grabbed Elizabeth, threw her to the ground, and he began to rape her. And in that documentary that I was telling you, it's so sad because remember how I said Elizabeth is only 14 years old. She was so innocent. She was sheltered. And she even says in this documentary, she had a very fairy tale type of mindset. And when Brian threw her down to the ground, she thought, well, if I roll over to my stomach, cross my legs and hold my arms crossed in front of my chest, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be able to rape, rape me. And in that documentary, she goes on to say that, and I was horribly wrong. So sad. So it was like, you so see sad. it, like, you know, she had this very innocent mindset, very, she even says in, in that documentary, you know, she, at the time she thought that, you know, to have relations with a man, mm-hmm. that they needed to be, you know, face to face. So that's why her instinct was, let me roll on my stomach. Oh. Yeah, it was, it, it's so sad what you know both of these monsters have done to her or what they did to her you know it's just it's horrible it's awful so after brian raped elizabeth he ties a metal wire rope thing Mm -hmm. to her ankle so that she wouldn't try to run away and elizabeth promises that she's not going to run away she's pleading with him please don't tie my ankle up and he's like oh gives her that same smug smile and says, oh, I know you won't run away. This is just to remove the temptation. This guy's ridiculous. So this is all literally in a camp in a, on top of a mountain somewhere. The, they, well, it's not like a real camp. It's not like they set up a tent and like, they had yeah, all this prepared. Yeah, they had this prepared. Because remember, he had been watching her. Yeah. From the minute he saw her, he's like, I'm going to take her. So they had it all planned out. So at around 4.13 a.m., two police officers show up at the Smart's home. Shortly after, more police officers and family members of the Smart family start to show up and they start driving all around the neighborhood looking for any sign of Elizabeth. Then at around 6 a.m., Salt Lake City Sergeant and Detective Don Bell shows up to the scene. And right away, he starts to notice how contaminated the crime scene, a.k.a. the house, has become. The first thing that police officers didn't do that they should have done when they arrived was blocked off the house, sealed it up, not allowed anybody in. Now you have all of this family coming in and out of the house. Yeah, two hours in. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't do any of that. And it was, it was said that it was a swarm of family members and police officers that had gathered at the home. And they were all contaminating any piece of evidence that could have been left in the house. Mm -hmm. In that documentary that I was telling you about, the detective, Don Bell, he even said that the crime scene was so badly contaminated that it was beyond hope. Wow. Yeah. Like already started. And he he even said there was like, there was no, it's like, he's like, I get it. Usually the, the graveyard shifts is for the rookie police officers, but he's like, that's still no excuse. Yeah. That's no excuse for it. So police officers start questioning Elizabeth's younger sister, Mary Catherine. 
since she was the only one that had seen the man and the only one that was in the room. But the room was so dark that there wasn't many details that Mary Catherine could give to police officers. I bet. And I'm sure she was just terrified. Can you imagine being, I mean, so young? And and she's little too, so it's like, I don't know. I almost feel like little kids, it's easier for them to... They don't do it inten- intentionally, but like to block off certain things, right. you know, yeah. when they could be doing doing it without them knowing it. So police officers know that they have to eliminate the family as suspects as they've all have gathered in the house. There's fingerprints, there's footsteps, there's all of this stuff. Right. Right. So they take the whole family into the police station in separate cars. And after the police are able to rule out the family as possible suspect. The Smart family starts to work on getting Elizabeth's picture out to the media and internet, and they start to call on volunteers to help search for Elizabeth. And by the following day, the family was able to gather over 2,000 volunteers to come out and help search for Elizabeth. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a lot of support. Mm -hmm. So three days have passed since Elizabeth got kidnapped from her home. Mm-hmm. And she is now in a mountain with her kidnappers, Brian, a.k.a. Emmanuel, and Wanda, a.k.a. Hipsaba. When, <laughs> when all of a sudden, Elizabeth can hear her name being called into the distance. No way. Yes. So Elizabeth is hoping that this is it. They're finally going to find me and I'm going to get home. When all of a sudden, Brian gets up, grabs a knife, and tells Elizabeth that if she screams out or yells, he will kill her. Elizabeth tells Brian that she will not yell out and she promises she'll keep quiet so that he doesn't kill her. And in that documentary that I was telling you that she did, she even says that she, when she heard her name being called out, Mm -hmm. that she even recognized the voice. She really? said, yeah, she said that she thought it was her uncle and she was like, but there was no way of her being certain, but she was so scared. I mean, uh, this man literally run. <laughs> yeah. But this man literally came in, took her from her home, like nothing. A police officer drove right past them. Like she is Don't fearful and that. she still <laughs> thinks, you know, like if he's able to take me, he might go back, grab my, my younger sister, kill my whole family. Like yeah, she's in fear. She's, she's so young and scared. Yeah. So unfortunately, after a while, the voices stopped and Elizabeth didn't hear them again. But then they started to see and hear helicopters pass right over where the camp was hidden. And Elizabeth thought that someone was going to jump from the helicopter or even jump from the bushes, grab her and take her home. Oh, you can only hope. But that never happened. And eventually the voices and the helicopters stopped coming around. And unfortunately, Jose, for you and our listeners, everybody's going to have to stay tuned for next week. We have to wait a week? Yes, for next week. When I read to you in part two, what happened to Elizabeth Smart? A whole week. Sorry, you guys. Thanks a lot. (laughs) If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at podcast2crimeweekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you will leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.